Welcome to season two of the Testimony Service Podcast, brought to you by Engage. Engage is a brand I started at the end of last year to serve as a reminder for us to engage with God, to actually cultivate a personal relationship with Him, and then to engage others, to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ to those around us. And one of the ways we engage others is through our testimonies. So here is Mario Furlo with episode 207, The Antidote. Hello, everyone. My name is Mario Furlo. I'm living in Indianapolis, Indiana, but I was born and raised in Griffin, Georgia. At about the age of five, I started out having these unusual feelings for same-sex attraction. Wasn't sure exactly where that came from, how I took on those emotions and those feelings. But after about three years of dealing with that and, you know, not only that, but people picking up on it in my family, in my neighborhood, you know, just calling me names such as faggot, sissy. When I was about eight years old, I was molested by a close family member, a male family member. And that continued up until I was around the age of 18. Not only was I molested by that particular male family member, but there were about five other men in the neighborhood who I guess I kind of (laughs) drew to. And so on many different occasions, they would take me into different, you know, houses, woods, beat up cars, and they would molest me over and over again. Up until I was around 18 years old when I graduated and went to college. After digging deep into you know, why I was targeted and why I had these feelings and emotions, I began to research and it was much deeper than I could imagine. So it was a sense of needing, you know, that father figure in my life. I did not have my father in the home growing up. That doesn't mean he's not a great father or he, you know, he wasn't totally there, but he wasn't there. And so I longed for that male bonding, that male relationship. I was not the male that played football. I was not the male that played basketball, these type of things like that. I was the sensitive male. A lot of things that people fail to realize is that the sensitive male needs that more connectivity. That's what I needed as a child. Well, I went off to college and after high school, I said, that's it. I'm going to live a full-fledged homosexual lifestyle. During that time, I moved to Indianapolis, Indiana. I had no idea why. And Lord behold, I moved here, started working at a hotel downtown, and I found a friend of mine. Her name is Shanine, actually. And she began to just talk to me and minister to me about God. And I said, you know, well, I know God. You know, I grew up in church. I was in church all my life. I sang in the choir. I was the president of the choir. I directed the choirs. I did all these things. So needless to say, I was focusing my relationship based off of everything I did and not necessarily having a relationship with God. And so during that time, she just began to minister to me and we decided to start visiting churches here in Indianapolis. We visited a church one Sunday. It was electrifying. It was life-changing. It was moving. I've never felt Holy Spirit like I did in a worship assembly. And so I was like, oh, this is where I need to be. Um, and so I just kept going to this particular church, although even in that church, my experience wasn't that great. I had people calling me faggots. Uh, the pastor would not really talk to me because of the lifestyle that I was living. But I decided to endure. I don't, and, and before I used to say, I don't know what made me endure. Now I know what made me endure. And it was God really trying to push me to a lifestyle change. And so I endured all of those struggles within that church. And on March 11th, and I found it 
fitting that we're recording this in March of 2021. This make 20 years that the Lord has saved me, sanctified me, and filled me with the Holy Ghost. And so on March 11th, 2001, the Lord drug me to the altar. I would never forget that experience. Had I had to get up and walk down, I would have been too embarrassed or too shamed to do so. So as praise and worship and shouting was going forward, the Holy Spirit just began to pick me up and drag me to the altar. And from that Sunday on, I began to feel different. I began to feel changed. I began to feel like God was really tugging and pulling on my heart to change. Although I was saved, that wasn't the end of the story. Um, there were many challenges and obstacles along the way of renewing my mind. Romans 12, 2 is my favorite scripture, be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. And so the Lord really took me into what we call, what I call a rehabilitation stage. I used to have cold sweats, night sweats, almost like chills and shivers. I was longing for that lifestyle. And the thing about the lifestyle, people always tend to focus on the sex of it or the man being with the man or the woman being with the woman. It is so much more than that. I found family there. All my best friends were in the lifestyle. So there were like the sex was minimal because, I mean, I didn't even have a real relationship in the gay lifestyle. I just slept with people to please men and to feel loved and all of that stuff. But it was more about the relationships that I had as a family within that lifestyle. And so longing for that, missing that, that was the first time I ever felt like, quote unquote, loved from a group of people. And so after being saved in March of 2001, I was on my way home for Christmas, the end of 2002. And we were just finishing praise team rehearsal. And one of the great evangelists of our church, she said, what are you doing? Why are you trying to rush up out of here? And I said, well, I'm going home for Christmas. And um, she said, oh, yeah, you're going home for Christmas. All right. You're going home to find your jewel. Had no idea what that meant. So in high school, although I was struggling with my identity and my manhood and my walk with God, I dated a young lady by the name of Kanisa. We dated from my junior year all the way through my senior year and first year of college. And even in high school, I told her she was going to be my wife. And so going back to the evangelist telling me I was going to find my jewel, I get home, last day home for Christmas, and my phone rings. And it's Kanisa. And my heart just dropped because I'm at a moment where my emotions are like all over the place. I'm trying to walk out of this lifestyle. Here is this woman whom I've always loved calling me. And so she said, I want to come and see you. I said, okay. I said, I leave tomorrow, but I mean, I leave in the morning. I, I have nothing to do tonight. So I was just chilling at my mom's house. So she got there, I guess, probably around eight or nine that evening. We stayed up all night long until like seven eight o'clock the next morning, just talking, sharing our stories, sharing the life that she had lived. I was sharing the life that I had lived. And we decided at that moment that we were going to get back together. She came to visit me in February of 03. She moved to Indy by April of 03, and we were married by October of 2003. That was definitely life-changing for me. God had delivered me from homosexuality although I still had many struggles in my identity. And so that's why I say the molestation was a part of it. The same-sex attraction was a part of it, but a lot of it was rooted in insecurity and rejection and not being secure in my manhood and my identity. So getting married to my wife, although I was 
not participating in the lifestyle. I was not doing any of those things. I still struggled with my identity and with being secure as a man. And so I was banking my security on pleasing my wife, becoming a father, and having children. About a year or two into our marriage, I found out I could not have children. And so that sent me down a spiral of secret depression because I still was very active in church. But in my home life, I was very distant from my wife. She did not even really know that I was in this state of depression. All along, I felt like why me? I had to go through so much as a child being molested over and over again. I had to go through so much even trying to live a saved life, you know, battling this lifestyle, trying to trying to walk away from it. Now I'm in a marriage where I thought it was just going to be, you know, they don't tell you the truth about marriage. I thought it was going to be just gung-ho, like woohoo, all the day long, but it wasn't. Now I felt violated again. The devil began to whisper in my ear, see, I told you you were gay. I told you you were gay. You're not even man enough to create children and all that stuff. And so I lived in this shell of depression and shell of shame for probably about five to seven years in our marriage. I just kept that all in and did not share. Then I would say around 2013, 2014, I found a family in the Overcomers Network. One of my friends sent me a message and he said, you should look into this. I looked into the Overcomers Network. It was a network of believers who had come out of homosexuality. So it was a group that built community and fellowship and accountability. And I connected with this particular group in 2013. 2014, I went to their first men's retreat. And for the first time, I felt another, another level and another wave of deliverance. And that particular deliverance became me having another family who I, the family that I longed and missed for when I was in the lifestyle, I had another family who understood me. I had another family who have gone through some of the similar things that I had gone through. And one of the things that happened to me at that particular retreat is Holy Spirit began to, everything that I had to kind of suppress because of what the church would say and I couldn't deal with it, everything I had to suppress began to come up out of me, the insecurity, the rejection, and a lot of the issues that I had faced as a child. And so after that retreat, I began to deal with things head on. I confronted my offenders. One of the things that my male family member said to me, he said, so now that you're preaching the gospel, are you going to tell everybody what I did to you? I said, I'm going to share my testimony. I will protect your name, but I'm going to share my testimony. I'm going to tell people exactly what happened. So from that day forward, I kind of sheltered my testimony a little bit, but I joined the Overcomers Network, became involved in that, and now I'm the president of the Overcomers Network. And one of the reasons why I kind of sheltered away from my testimony was because of my mom. I was really protecting her. And she passed away October of 2020. And so as I was about to share my testimony in Georgia, I got the call that she passed away. Although it was very traumatic for me, it was a very grieving experience for me. I do believe the Lord was just allowing the opportunity for me to begin to speak out and share without her having to deal with me sharing because she would have immediately asked me who was the male family member and it would have really been devastating to her. So here I am today, married to Kanisa. We've been married, it would be 18 years this year. 
We have four adoptive children, all from the age of 16 down to the age of 12. And we are plugging along. We have a ministry or a business tree is what we like to call it, called the Unique Transformation Enterprise. This is where I pour out love to young men and young women who have gone through any type of sexual brokenness. And also we have the Overcomers Network where I I am the president of Overcomers who have come out of similar lifestyles of sexual brokenness. And so that's my testimony of with God, all things are possible. Wow, man, that is a beautiful testimony. You've clearly been through so much. And uh, I guess the first thing that comes to mind is, so you talked about how, I don't remember who you said it was, who kind of first had drug you to church. Like you said, you knew about God, you were raised in the church and all of that. Um, But it was so much about kind of serving in the church as opposed to like actually having a relationship with God. So I know you said that you understand why you were able to endure, but I was wondering how you were able to endure through the, you know, church hurt or people, you know, calling you all types of names and treating you different. And like, how are you actually able to, for like people who are, who are in that place where they're, they feel like church is where they need to be, but it's also like, how can I stay here? And they're trying to kind of balance all of that in their head. Yeah. One of the things I share when I'm sharing my testimony is when the Lord saved me, the day he filled me with the Holy Ghost, that was an experience that no one could take away from me. And so through all of the church hurt and through all of the rejection, even in the church and, you know, the ridicule and the mocking and all of these things, I was determined that I had to continue this experience that God has started with me. Um, And so it began with my personal experience with God. And I was determined to get through that process and one of the things I used to do in this particular pastor at the time preached a message one time called the antidote, and I'll never forget it. And I called it my deliverance message. And he was talking about the earth being sin sick and how he, tornadoes and hurricanes were vomiting and spewing sin out of the earth's mouth. And it was very dramatic and very intense. And God began to deal with me in my deliverance uh, message. And so that particular night I left church, went home and I cried out to God and asked, why is the pastor treating me like this? Why is the church treating me like this? There was a moment even when I was fellowshipped into the church, you know, the pastors was walking around and greet everybody. The senior pastor did not come around and shake my hand in front of the entire church and basically waited to after service was like, oh, I'm sorry. Welcome to this particular church. And so I questioned God and he said this to me, and it's hard for people to believe sometimes, but God said to me, he said, I know that what they're doing is wrong. He said, but this is how your worship comes up to me. It's a stench to my nostrils. And as you are still back and forth in this lifestyle and you're worshiping me, it comes up as a stench to my nostrils. So the same way that that pastor is turning away from you, I'm turning away from your worship. And that changed my that moment in my life and that changed my life. And from there on, I was determined that this is a lifestyle that I had to defeat and I had to do it not for people, but I had to do it for God and because of the relationship that I was establishing with him. Wow. Yeah, that that's powerful. Yeah, that's crazy. So, okay. What would you say to someone who has these same sex attractions and they're in church, but they don't feel like they need to change their lifestyle. They don't necessarily feel like it's sinful or it's against God. Like they're, it's not that they're, 
how do I want to say it? Not that they're continuing in that lifestyle just because that's what they want to do, but they honestly don't see it as being something that's contradictory or that they have to kind of choose or let go of. Yeah. Um, and, I, and I think in that case, if we as the body of Christ begin to show love in a genuine way, people will be more receptive to understanding the love of the father. Only God can change us. And one thing about, even though I'm delivered from the lifestyle, I don't force my change or what God did for me on others. I understand where they are and where they've coming from, but I do challenge them to search their heart because I believe, because even when I was in the lifestyle, there was always an uneasiness or this feeling of, this is not right, or I'm not whole, or something's wrong. I I would ask them to search their heart, open their hearts up to God, and allow God to heal them, and don't rush the process, but acknowledge it first of all, and find someone who you can talk that through with. Some churches are not equipped for that. I think the one I go to now is, but I don't think that all churches are equipped to deal with that. So find someone who can help you talk that through. Don't hold that in. I mean, don't ever feel like you're alone. Just know that God is still with you, even in your journey and even in the moment of you feeling like it's okay. And, you know, I don't feel conviction. But I believe if we truly pray to God to give us an answer, if we ask him the hard questions, be direct with him. God, is this lifestyle wrong? And I believe he would answer you. And I believe he would tell you the truth about it. Yeah, that's that's great advice. I like that. What do you believe deliverance looks like and if it can look different for different people? And the way the reason I'm asking it is because I've heard some people who are Christians who believe it's wrong, who still have those attractions, but don't act out on them. Where am I going with this question? Are you picking up what I'm dropping? I, I got you. I, I got you. So does deliver does deliverance have to mean you no longer have those feelings, or does deliverance mean that you choose to live your life, you know, pure and holy before God? you know, with the help of the Holy Spirit, what does deliverance look like? Yes, that's my I'm question. Going to, I'm going to use this example. I used to smoke cigarettes and I started smoking cigarettes when I was 14 years old. I am now 44 years old. And there are times today where I have a taste for a cigarette. Just because I have a taste for the cigarette doesn't mean I have to go smoke the cigarette. It's the same way with this lifestyle. I believe deliverance is an ongoing process. And I believe every new level that we grow in God, there's a new level of deliverance. And so that keeps us humble, number one. It keeps us uh, lifelong learners, number two. And it keeps us in a place where we are not um, so prideful that I can judge somebody else for having the same feelings that I once was delivered from. I think a lot of times we're not as real about deliverance as we should be. If I sit here and tell you that I've never felt same-sex attraction since the day I was delivered, that's I will be lying to you. What I had to learn to do with my same-sex attraction, and God gave me a strategy. He said, you filter your same-sex attraction. And he began to give me the story of Jonathan and David, how those two men loved each other, but not unto sex. And so So it's okay for me to feel a certain bond or a certain attraction to another brother, but it's not for a sexual purpose. And he said, it's either for you to cultivate and minister to them, or there's something going on in you that you need to check that you're attracted to something in them. Mm -hmm. And so 
those are opportunities to grow. Those are opportunities to challenge yourself. It's not to say that you're not delivered. It's not to say that you're not been set free because I guarantee you, everybody who's been delivered from something, they're always tested in that area at some point in time. I don't care who you are. The drug addict, they're going to be tested with the taste of crack. The alcohol, they're going to be tested with the taste of alcoholism. In fact, in AA, they teach them to say, even after they stop drinking, is I am an alcoholic. I don't necessarily agree with that declaration, but I'm just sharing what they teach them because in reality, we're all one temptation away from falling. I don't care who you are. And so we have to be guarded and rooted enough to understand, number one, our filters, our environments, and what are my triggers? So if I know something is going to trigger that thing, I'm not going to be around that. I'm going to choose to go another direction. And deliverance and repentance is a choice about going into another direction. I know we were taught repentance was one thing, and I know we were taught it was, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. But repentance and deliverance is a choice. And I choose each day to turn and go the opposite direction of where my life was headed when I was living a homosexual lifestyle. Wow, that's beautiful. I love it, man. I love it. Okay, so how do you fight to maintain the mindset of knowing your identity in Christ as like the enemy will try to like throw in those old lies of, you know, you're not really delivered or, you know, oh, you just had this thought. So look at the, you know, look at that. How do you continue like, you know, on a daily basis or as it occurs, like how do you maintain like your identity in Christ as opposed to your past and the things that the devil may try to like kind of throw at you? I think, Valuing that experience and relationship with God is important and valuing what he has allowed uh, to come into my life, my wife, my children, honoring that, honoring my marriage, honoring my family and honoring, I believe, the man that he created me to be. One of the final stages of solidifying my manhood was I had to deal with the resentment I had against my father. And that was about three years ago. In dealing with certain areas that are hard to deal with, it's a stabilization, I would say, to you to continue to walk this journey. Because anything outside of the identity of Christ is false, it's perverted, and it's a false narrative of who God has created you to be. And a lot of times we fall into those false narratives because of trauma or because of I need to be fulfilled and look and fulfill a void. And so I, I would challenge anybody who say, I can't remain in this and I can't stay in this. Be real with yourself. Understand what your voids are and allow God to fill those voids and find, you know, I believe in Jesus and therapy. Find a good therapist who can talk to you about your voids and who can really bring up those things that are rooted on the inside of you. Because I believe the true connection um, with God is through being honest with him, being transparent with him, and being able to allow him to guide you even when you're thinking wrong and allow him to challenge that. And don't be afraid to even challenge your own thoughts. I know when a thought is wrong. I know when I'm not supposed to be having those thoughts. And so the first thing I do is question, where did they come from? Hmm. And when I always sense that thought or have that thought or sense that feeling, it always comes from the spirit of rejection. 
So at some point, that spirit of rejection is trying to creep up on me or something has happened. Somebody has said something to me to make me feel like I've been rejected. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, this is a very practical episode. I love this. Um, I I know a lot of people are going to be blessed by it. So just to wrap up, what is one either piece of advice or just kind of main thing that you would want the listener to take away from hearing uh, your testimony on today? Just because I've been delivered from homosexuality doesn't mean I judge those who are still living in that lifestyle. In fact, I pray for each one of you. And not only that, I pray for everyone that I don't want people to take my testimony as me looking down on the LGBTQ community or looking down on anybody else. I want them to take my testimony as a God-given power that can change anyone. And that's wherever you are in life, whatever you're struggling with, whatever you're dealing with, God has the power to turn that thing around. It has little to do with about me overcoming molestation, homosexuality, rejection, all these different things. But it's more about God getting the glory out of my life and more about building that relationship with Him. For every listener, if God did it for me, He can do it for you. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Testimony Service Podcast. If you'd like to share your testimony on an upcoming episode, visit www.martinanicole.com slash podcast. If you're listening to this on Apple Podcasts, please leave a review. It'll help get these testimonies to more ears. And if you haven't already, be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast platform so you never miss an episode. We'll be back next Wednesday. So here's a sneak peek for you. That I hear that you've forgiven other people who have hurt you in your past, did some things to you, but have you forgiven yourself? And I had to take a step back, like, well, what do I have to forgive myself for?